48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. The police are called again as pro-government lawmakers accuse pan-democrats of tampering with elections for LegCo panel heads. Lawmakers revive an abandoned bill to introduce waste charges in Hong Kong. And travellers from France and Russia are to be added to a list of high-risk COVID countries. Pro-establishment lawmakers have again accused their pan-democratic rivals of tampering with elections for LegCo panel chairs, with one saying he'd called the police. Jimmy Choi has details. Junius Ho says he has reported Democratic Party lawmakers Helena Wong and Andrew Wan to the police, accusing both of misconduct over a vote to choose a chairperson for LegCo's Environmental Affairs panel. Mr Ho, who chaired a morning meeting, says security cameras had caught Ms Wong keeping a ballot from an earlier panel meeting before passing it to Mr Wan. It was also clearly and uh, vividly recorded in the CCTV that Andrew Wang did insert ballot paper twice into the ballot box. It's the second time in as many days that the police have been called against pan-democratic lawmakers. Just a day before, the Lechko Secretariat called the police over claims that Democratic Party lawmaker Ted Ho had snatched votes from a ballot box. The drama comes as pro-establishment lawmakers tighten their grip on the extended leg- Legislative Council by winning the chairmanship of 16 out of 18 panels. Votes for the remaining two will be taken later. LegCo has revived previously halted discussions on a proposed waste disposal levy almost four months after lawmakers decided to abandon the bill as time ran short. Natalie Ching reports. The legislation would force households and businesses to pay for the rubbish they throw out and is seen as a crucial part of the drive to reduce waste. There was cross-party support for the move as LegCo's House Committee set up a new bills committee to vet the needed bill. The views were mixed on how the new panel should approach its work. Pro-democracy lawmaker Kenneth Lung thinks the committee should pick up where the previous group left off, but pro-government lawmaker Shio Kafai said the vetting should start from square one. When the previous committee decided to abandon the initiative in June, they had no idea that Beijing would end up extending the term of the legislature by at least one year as the Hong Kong government postponed the LegCo elections to 2021. The government says it'll start requiring travellers flying in from France and Russia to provide a certificate to show they're free of the coronavirus. Both countries are being added to a list of high-risk areas from where travellers are required by law to prove they're free of COVID-19 before they're allowed into the SAR. The coronavirus tests have to be taken within 72 hours of the scheduled departure time. The new requirements for France and Russia will take effect on October the 26th. Health officials say a social worker has been infected with coronavirus through unknown sources. He works at a residential care home for recovered mental patients in Sham Shui Po. Officials say he went cycling with eight residents from the home along with several colleagues on Monday. They'll be quarantined while other staff and residents will be tested for COVID-19. Here's Chuang Shuk Kwan from the Centre for Health Protection. The centre will be closed to the public for two weeks and will be carry out um, for disinfection. Uh, we will test all the staff and the residents there. Uh, if there are, uh, I mean, some residents who left uh, recently, we will try to trace them and test them. Because the source of infection of this patient is still uh, being investigated, we cannot exclude any possibility whether he acquired the disease from the institution or from the community. A total of seven new coronavirus infections were reported today. The other six are all designated as imported. 
Some local medical experts are questioning a new World Health Organization study which has concluded that the antiviral drug remdesivir had little to no effect on COVID-19 patients. But infectious disease specialist Ivan Hung from the University of Hong Kong says previous studies and anecdotal evidence tell a different story. To a certain extent, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. This is just a statement made by WHO. We haven't seen the report yet. So we need to see the report. One of the things that they have to really look at is the time when you give the antiviral, because the timing is very important. If you give these treatments very late, for example, beyond two weeks or you know, in the second week of the infection, then, of course, the impact on mortality will be relatively low. Or, in fact, there may, may not be any impact at all. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. China's ambassador to Canada has warned the Trudeau government against granting asylum to Hong Kong residents fleeing the national security law. In a video press conference, Ambassador Chong Pei Wu strongly urged Ottawa not to grant refuge to what he called those violent criminals in Hong Kong. Mike Weeks reports. Ambassador Chong said granting political asylum to people from Hong Kong would amount to interference in China's domestic affairs. He said if Canada really cared about the stability and the prosperity of Hong Kong and about the good health and safety of those 300,000 Canadian passport holders in Hong Kong and the large number of Canadian companies operating here, it should support the effort to fight what he described as violent crime. The head of Alliance Canada-Hong Kong described his warning as a direct threat to all Canadians. China has denied it separating Muslim Uyghur children from their parents in Xinjiang. A report in The Economist magazine says nearly 900,000 children were placed in state boarding facilities because their parents were in detention camps. A foreign ministry spokesman, Zhao Lujian, said the report was a farce cooked up by China's enemies. Regarding China's so-called persecution of Muslims and so-called crimes against humanity in Xinjiang, this is just something hyped up and made up by some anti-China forces for the purpose of containing and smearing China. The label of crimes against humanity can never be attached to China. An experimental coronavirus vaccine is being made available to some residents in Zhaxing City in Zhejiang. Maggie Ho has details. Mainland officials said experimental vaccines have already been given to hundreds of thousands of essential workers at ports, hospitals and other high-risk areas across the country. But even as 11 Chinese vaccines have entered clinical trials, none have been approved for mass market distribution. Now authorities are making a Sinovac biotech vaccine available to residents of Jiaxing who are between 18 and 59 years old who have urgent needs. However, they didn't elaborate on what this means, nor did they review how many people in a city of 4.5 million are eligible for the vaccine, which comes in two doses and costs 400 yuan. Thousands of protesters in the Thai capital, Bangkok, have been facing off against police with batons, riot shields and water cannon in defiance of an emergency decree banning gatherings of more than five. The BBC's Jonathan Head is with the protesters. 
they've built up pretty significant numbers. I mean, I would estimate several thousands at least at this intersection. This time the authorities moved in to disperse them using uh, water cannon laced with chemicals. I mean, it was uh, an odd scene because it was already raining and a lot of the protesters had umbrellas and uh, raincoats on. But with those chemicals as well, it's very hard for them to resist that. So they have been pushed out. Some of them have fled into the nearby Chulalongkorn University. But this is not going to stop this movement. It's quite clear large numbers of people in Thailand sympathise with the views of the protesters, uh, sympathise in particular with their demands for the government to step down, but even for these very radical demands for a wholesale reform of the monarchy. More local news. The government says the number of deception cases reported in Hong Kong has doubled to more than 10,000 over the first eight months of the year, compared with the same period last year. Authorities say there were particularly big increases in the number of online shopping, dating and email scams. Security Minister John Lee chalks the increase up to both the coronavirus pandemic and anti-government protests. Since June last year, there have been quite a large number of social disorder cases, unlawful and violent acts, which in some way make people tend not to go out. And the second reason is COVID-19, because people tend to stay home. So this exposed them to the opportunities of being contacted. Mr Lee also renewed calls for Taiwan to stop playing politics and make it clear how murder suspect Chan Tong Kai can travel to the island to turn himself in. The 23-year-old has confessed, to, has confessed to killing his pregnant girlfriend in Taipei and that he's willing to go back to face justice. But reports say Taiwan authorities have refused to approve his visa application. Mr Lee said Taiwan has shown no sincerity in resolving the matter. It shocks, I think, anybody with common sense that he will be refused or his intended trip to Taiwan is in any way hindered. The police liaison channel is open, but the government has no authority to require Chen to do things which is beyond his wish. We have to wait for the Taiwan side to make the second step so that we can actively examine how we can help in the whole matter. Meanwhile, the parents of the murder victim, Poon Hyo Wing, have written to John Lee to urge the government to make the necessary arrangements to facilitate the transfer of Chan Tong Kai to Taiwan. They called on both sides to set aside their differences in the interest of justice for their daughter. The Civil Aviation Department has confirmed that it warned the crew of a Taiwanese civilian plane of a situation yesterday, a move which led to the aircraft abandoning its flight to Taiwan's Pratas Islands and returning to Kaohsiung. Timmy Sung reports. A spokeswoman for the Civil Aviation Department did not explain what the situation was, but she said the department had told its Taiwanese counterpart that the charter flights needed to maintain a safe altitude. Taiwan's Civil Aeronautics Administration earlier said that Hong Kong air traffic controllers told the captain of the weekly flight that dangerous activities were taking place below 26,000 feet, so he couldn't enter the SCL's flight's information region. Taipei said there had been no prior warning, but Hong Kong officials say they were acting in accordance with an established mechanism and procedures, adding that approval is needed when Taiwanese planes use the flight route in question. Mainland state television has warned that those who hurt the feelings of the Chinese people will have to pay a price following the resignation of the boss of the Houston Rockets basketball team. Daryl Morey tweeted comments in support of the Hong Kong democracy movement last October, prompting the authorities in Beijing first to call for his dismissal and then to pull television coverage of the NBA. Adam Chung has more. 
The Rockets said Daryl Morey left the team on his own terms. News of the 48-year-old's departure was first reported by ESPN and then confirmed by the Rockets on Thursday night. In early October of 2019, when the Rockets were playing preseason games in Tokyo, Morey tweeted an image that said, Fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong, a reference to last year's pro-democracy demonstrations. The tweet caused China to suspend sponsorship deals with the NBA and to block games from being aired on Chinese television for a year. The NBA suffered a financial loss of 400 million U.S. dollars. Maury was the 2018 NBA Executive of the Year and has been guiding Houston's basketball operations since 2007. The Rockets have made the playoffs for the last eight seasons, the longest active streak in the NBA. In baseball, the Atlanta Braves are one win away from reaching the World Series, while the Tampa Bay Rays failed to clinch for a second straight game. The Braves used a six-run sixth inning to pull away from the LA Dodgers, winning 10-2. Atlanta now lead the National League Championship Series three games to one. In the American League, a walk-off home run by Carlos Correa in the bottom of the ninth saw the Houston Astros win their second straight elimination game. They beat the Rays 4-3 to force Game 6. The English Premier League returns this weekend with one of the most anticipated Merseyside derbies of recent years. Champions Liverpool take on table-topping Everton in the early game tomorrow. With a look ahead to that and other big games this weekend, here's the BBC's John Bennett. After the international break, the Premier League gets back underway with the 288th Merseyside derby. Top of the table, Everton are flying this season with four wins out of four. They'll have genuine belief that they can beat their neighbours Liverpool for the first time in exactly 10 years. Champions Liverpool will be in action for the first time since suffering a shock 7-2 defeat to Aston Villa and first choice goalkeeper Alisson is still out injured. Elsewhere, Manchester City boss Pep Guardiola is up against his former assistant Mikel Arteta when Arsenal visit the Etihad Stadium. Thomas Partey could make his Arsenal debut after signing from Atletico Madrid on transfer deadline day. After losing two of their first three games, Manchester United will be under scrutiny yet again when they play Newcastle United. And Chelsea are aiming for their third Premier League win of the season against an inconsistent Southampton side. Two teams still looking for their first points of the season after four games meet at Bramall Lane when Sheffield United hosts Fulham and Gareth Bale could make his first appearance for Tottenham since returning to the club on loan from Real Madrid. Spurs are playing in form West Ham United. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. The police are called again as pro-government lawmakers accuse the pan-democrats of tampering with elections for LegCo panel heads. Lawmakers revive an abandoned bill to introduce waste charges in Hong Kong. And travellers from France and Russia are to be added to a list of high-risk COVID countries. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. Pro-establishment lawmakers have tightened their grip on LegCo by winning the chairmanship of 16 out of 18 panels. Votes on the remaining two are to be taken later, Francis Sit reports.
呢度有個規條問題。我提名尹兆堅議員。提名係張超雄議員。而家先係提名。As part of the filibustering attempt, the Pan Democrats try to nominate one another and raise procedural questions in the elections. 我而家就係講提唔提名，而家我哋仲有大概五分鐘時間。But the pro-establishment colleagues presiding over the vote block the attempt and limit the nomination time. They have written to Leshko Secretary General in advance, saying only their chosen candidates would accept the nominations. The Pan Democrats could do little but to chant slogans as ballots were counted, such as five demands, not one less, and release the 12 Hong Kongers. Pan Democratic legislators presided over the election of two other panels, welfare services as well as information technology and broadcasting, where no vote was taken within the allotted half-hour meetings. But pro-government lawmakers are expected to take control of them as well and complete a sweep. The Democratic Party's Ted Hoi said the election yesterday and today were unfair and accused the pro-Beijing camp of abusing their power to suppress opposition voices. He said his rival's power grab is just the beginning, and he expects his pro-government colleagues to suppress his camp's views and protests during upcoming debates. Mr Hoi also criticized his rivals for reporting to the police and accusing him of removing votes from a ballot box on the first day of the elections. The act of protesting or even shouting inside the chamber would be prosecuted. For establishment is using the police power to take control of the electrical meetings. So this is obviously threatening us, and this is also uh, threatening us under the newly enacted uh, national security law. But of course, we'll show our courage. We won't give up. We will be fighting till the end. Pro-government lawmaker Junius Ho is his camp's chosen candidate to head the IT panel, where a chairman has yet to be elected. He accuses rivals of acting like kindergarten children, saying they're not fit to be legislators. But Mr Ho also said he's not too worried about the delaying tactics when the legislature feds more controversial items over the next year. They are just peanuts. What they could achieve is just to play the monkey tricks and then to try to catch the eyeballs of the Hong Kong people. But in substance, they could not really delay that that long. We could always manage to get rid of the filibuster. I would try my level best to prevent their stupid acts to affect the general interest in Hong Kong. If they should continue to do something like that, the ramification and the backfire would be upwind themselves rather than the general public in Hong Kong. The pro-government side has already taken over the powerful House Committee and Finance Committee in the extended Leshko section, after the government postponed elections scheduled for September by a year, citing the coronavirus pandemic. Some local medical experts are questioning a new World Health Organization study which concluded that the antiviral drug remdesivir has little to no effect on COVID-19 patients. Among them is infectious disease specialist Professor Ivan Hung of the University of Hong Kong, who says previous studies and limited anecdotal evidence shows that the drug does help. He told Wendy Wong he wants to see more details of the WHO study. To a certain extent, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. I think based on previous research, we all pretty robust clinical trial. We know that remdesivir definitely have clinical benefits in terms of treatment for severe COVID-19. When we look at the data just recently, in fact, there's the, the final report from uh, published in the New England Journal of Medicine. There's also an impact on mortality, even though the statistically wasn't significant, but there was definitely a difference in terms of mortality. So the only thing, of course, is that just, is, this is just a statement made by WHO. We haven't seen the report yet. 
So we need to see the report. One of the things that they have to really look at is the time when you give the, the antiviral, like remdesivir, Kaletra, or interferon, because the timing is very important. If you give the, these treatments very late, for example, beyond two weeks, or you know, in the second week of the infection, then of course, the impact on mortality will be relatively low, or in fact, they may, be, may not be uh, any impact at all. So the timing of giving the treatment is extremely important. Again, we have to wait for these results to come back from WHO, and also, of course, is the where these studies were performed, because if it's performed in, for example, developed countries, then, of course, then the likelihood is that the, the data will be probably much more reliable. Uh, because they will be, uh, they have the manpower to to perform these really rigid clinical trials. Uh, if, on the other hand, the the study was not performed to the gold standard, then the the result will be challenged by the others. From your experience, um, this drug uh, remdesivir is quite effective on uh, patients in Hong Kong, right? We haven't uh, had a lot of many patients on this, but uh, from our limited data, we know that there is some clinical impact uh, on remdesivir. But the, the, what is lacking from remdesivir, again, is the, is the viral load data. So there's, uh, currently there's no virological data so far, which is important because it's an antiviral drug. It's a repurposed antiviral drug, so we need the virological data to support uh, the clinical findings. The head of the Hong Kong Public Doctors Association, Aracinema, has condemned the hospital authority for the way it's handling a probe into a strike by medical workers last February, saying it's indiscriminately chasing after members of staff and sparking tensions. Timmy Sung reports. Thousands of doctors, nurses and other hospital workers went on strike for five days in February to demand a complete closure of Hong Kong's border with the mainland after the coronavirus crisis erupted in Wuhan. The authority is now seeking an explanation from workers who joined the industrial action as to why they were absent from duty. But Arisina Ma from the Public Doctors Association says management are chasing almost all members of staff in one department, assuming they all took part in the strike, when a check of computer logs would reveal who was working and who was not. She says even people who have already left the radiology department at Princess Margaret Hospital have received letters regarding the strike, as well as staff who only joined the department over the summer. Besides upsetting individual doctors, it may also cause some tension between uh, among colleagues. But definitely, this let- one of the aim of that letter is try to uh, create uh, this cooling effect. Reports earlier said that the head of the radiology department had refused to hand over a list of names of those who were absent during the strike period. But Dr. Ma says the authorities' move is inappropriate and management should arrange talks with the union that organized the strike, noting that the industrial action was legal under Hong Kong law. In response, the authority says the aim of the letter it sent out was to confirm with staff the dates of their absences and reasons for them. It also says it has been handling the matter in a compassionate, reasonable and legal manner. The first passengers from New Zealand have arrived in Australia under new travel bubble arrangements between the two countries. None of the passengers on the flight from Auckland to Sydney will be required to quarantine in Australia. However, they will have to pay for their own quarantine in a hotel when they return to New Zealand. At the moment, the bubble is one-sided, with Australians not allowed to enter New Zealand. RTHK's Anna-Marie Evans asked our Australian correspondent, Jerry Gannon, whether the new arrangement means some people who've been stuck in New Zealand were finally able to go home. There were emotional 
scenes at Sydney Airport today as New Zealanders um, uh, came to Sydney for uh, came home, I guess, for the first time, and also uh, some business travellers who were stuck in New Zealand when uh, when COVID hit. They're uh, they're back as well. They've been conducting business remotely. Uh, but um, a, a couple of uh, passengers decided that uh, they would um, stretch the point and took a connecting flight to Melbourne, where they were promptly uh, uh, brought to a halt because, of course, Melbourne is a no-go zone uh, at, at the moment. So they were uh, they're still uh, being questioned uh, by by police and immigration officials. Now, uh, I think eight, something like eight flights uh, uh, happened today. But as you said, it is one way. You know, they, they can't go back unless they go back uh, for a 14-day uh, uh, quarantine. So this is called a bubble. It's called a, a safe travel zone. And it's open to uh, people who have been to uh, New Zealand for over two weeks and they've not been in a in, a, in what's known as a hotspot, and uh, they're travelling to Australia on a flight that uh, carries such individuals, and they're called quarantine-free flights. So uh, a hotspot is a three-day rolling average of three locally acquired cases uh, each day, uh, and that was to sit, uh, determined on uh, on the fifteenth of uh, of October. So what does this mean for flights, you know, next week, the week after? Well, if, if this goes well, uh, the plan is to continue this. Now, they're taking it, you know, one step at a time. This is, uh, I guess it's, it's, quite, it's quite tentative to begin with, but this plan was worked out between the two governments. And uh, there's no sort of insight in, 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 in sight, but it is suggested that if uh, it goes well, that it may continue. And indeed, if there are no new cases in either Sydney or Auckland, that uh, they may be expanded. But uh, that's not uh, quite clear as yet. I think both governments are being uh, extra cautious about uh, relaxing uh, restrictions. Of course, New Zealand largely, I mean, it's now COVID-free, um, you know, and uh, people have been able to be mask-free some of the time. But for Australia, it's very problematic. It is very problematic, partly because we have, you know, eight different zones, if you like, but uh, so many states and territories. New Zealand's a different matter. And uh, New Zealand is in a better position. It, uh, it kind of knocked it on the head pretty early in the piece. Uh, and has maintained a reasonably good, uh, a good, good record. And I think uh, Jacinda Ardern would be anxious to maintain its relatively COVID-free uh, existence from uh, from here on in. So it is. These are tentative first steps. Anna Marie, tentative first steps. Let's hope it uh, they can continue. I was going to say. I mean, what what's the situation with Qantas and uh, other airlines in Australia? Are they on their knees? Knees. Yes, they're, they're having to. Uh, uh, Qantas is having to get um, substantial government help. Uh, the other airline, Virgin, uh, has uh, gone into administration. It has now been taken over by uh, venture capitalists, which is never really a good sign when you think about it. The CEO has been fired, and somebody else has been put in place. So Virgin is in a tough position. Qantas is uh, is toughing it out. It's doing quite well. It, you know, Qantas got a great uh, chief executive, Alan Joyce. I say that not just because he's uh, he's Irish born, but he's actually a very good operator, a very shrewd operator, and uh, he's got some fat in the bank 
that he's probably eating into uh, right now. Um, and uh, he's uh, also taken a whole heap of aircraft out of the desert uh, in the U.S., where the, the conditions are, uh, you know, uh, quite dry and uh, there's, there's very little corrosion. Uh, each of those aircraft, as things relax, will have to be brought back probably one at a time uh, and will have to uh, undergo um, recommissioning, if you like, which is a, quite a tedious process, I understand. Amid coronavirus, more and more of us are avoiding public transport and travelling around under our own steam. Well, if you live in Paris, Bogota or London, the good news is that getting about on foot is relatively easy. A study into walkability by the Institute for Transportation and Development Policy said London outranks almost a 1,000 cities around the world for citizens' proximity to car-free spaces, schools and healthcare. The BBC's Richard Hamilton reports. I'm walking just outside our studios in New Broadcasting House and as you can hear, the traffic is pretty busy. Perhaps surprisingly then, London is in the top five of the world's most walkable cities. The others are Hong Kong, Moscow, Paris and Bogota. The first factor they looked at was the proportion of people living within 100 metres of a car-free place, such as parks, pedestrianised streets and squares. The second measure they considered was the proportion of people living within a kilometre of schools and hospitals. And the third measure was the size of city blocks, as smaller ones enable walkers to avoid large detours. Again, the fact that the top spot went to Hong Kong is perhaps surprising because when you think of that city, you tend to imagine densely crowded streets and high-rise tower blocks. On the other hand, it does have a lot of pedestrianised precincts. The report includes evidence that places where walking is easier have lower air pollution, less obesity, more children's playtime, better performing local businesses, less inequality and fewer road deaths. It notes that nearly 230,000 pedestrians around the world are expected to be killed in road crashes this year. However, they said very few cities actually give pedestrians priority and most of them are still dominated by the car. Those stories were part of the News Rep programme, which was broadcast on ITHK earlier this evening. Sean Kennedy. The Smart ID Card Replacement Exercise is for me and for you. If you hold the old form of Smart ID Card and were born in 1962 or 1963, you must replace your ID card on or before January 30, 2021. You may bring two family members or friends aged 65 or above and two persons with disabilities to replace ID cards together. Let's build a caring and inclusive society. Remember to book ahead. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 This is the theme of Love Story. Johnny Pearson, piano and orchestra. You're with Ray Cudero all the way until 1am with our kind of music. <laughs> 